How does a person get to heaven? That's a question you can't afford to get wrong. And Pastor Ed Taylor says the Bible makes it clear the answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ and faith in him is the only way to be right with God. That's it. There is no other way. Jesus isn't a way among many. He's not a path to choose among many that, you know, I'll take a little Jesus, I'll take a little this, and we'll all end up at the same place. No. There are all the other roads, and then there's the road of Jesus Christ. Narrow is the way, Jesus said, that leads to life. But broad and wide is the way that leads to eternal death. This is amazing grace. It's been well said, forgiveness is man's greatest need and God's greatest achievement. Good to be with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. As we continue in the book of Romans, we'll hear about the one-way road to heaven and make sure we're on it or get on it today. Pastor Ed Taylor will emphasize that we all fall short on our own and only Jesus can help us get up. Here he is in Romans 3. Romans chapter 3, pick up with me, would you, in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. And their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Verse 17, in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's been a dark backdrop, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, of exactly what sin has done to every human being. That all of us, everywhere, every background, every tongue, every nation, has been touched and tainted by sin and its destructive forces. Everyone everywhere is in need of God's wonderful grace, no matter what spiritual background you might have, no matter what national background you might have, no matter what family you've been born into, no matter what direction your life has taken, no matter how often you read a Bible, how often you attend church, how religious you might be, all of us everywhere are in need of a Savior. It doesn't really matter how good you are, you still need a Savior. It really doesn't matter how much you give to God, you still need a Savior. Religion will not save you. Rules and regulations will not save you. Church will not save you. Religious actions will not save you. Really, nobody is better than anyone else. We're all equally in need of Jesus Christ, the Savior. All of us are. All people that have ever lived have failed to live up and to meet God's standard of rightness. 
And at this section of chapter 3, we need to ask the question, well, how does a person get to heaven? With all of these things that we've been taught, then how is it exactly then a person get to heaven? I mean, if being good won't do it, and nobody seeks after God, and being religious doesn't do it, and trying to obey God's law doesn't do it, and trying to make God happy doesn't do it, then how? Because those are all the things that people have told me are the way to get to heaven. And now what Paul is saying is that none of those things will get me in a right standing with God? I mean, how a person answers this question will determine the course of their life both now and on into eternity. So you want to have the right answer. How does a person get to heaven? You want to be sure that the answer that you receive is God's answer and not man's. And you know, when that question is asked, there are countless answers, aren't there? To the point today where you'll have people saying, well, don't all roads lead to God? I mean, really? Does it really matter what a person believes? Does it really matter what a person does in life to be right? I mean, if I believe in God, and at least I say I believe in God, isn't that enough to get me to heaven? The answer is no. No, it's not enough. And on the one hand, I actually agree with the statement. I could say with certainty today that all roads do lead to God. Now, don't be shocked by that statement, because let me clarify All roads do lead to God, but most roads, I would say all but one road, leads to God's judgment. But Jesus says, flip over there, would you, with me, John chapter 14? Jesus says that you want to be on the right road. And there's only one road. There's only one right road. And the reality is, is that I have fallen short and only Jesus can help me up. It's only him. John 14, 6 really settles it for us. You want to get the question, how does a one get to heaven, right? You want to have the right answer. Look at John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ and faith in him is the only way to be right with God. That's it. There is no other way. Jesus isn't a way among many. He's not a path to choose among many that, you know, I'll take a little Jesus, I'll take a little this, and we'll all end up at the same place. No. There are all the other roads, and then there's the road of Jesus Christ. Narrow is the way, Jesus said, that leads to life. But broad and wide is the way that leads to eternal death. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was invited to this church. I've heard about this church. And you are, you, you are so narrow-minded. How can you be so narrow-minded? I mean, I thought I was going to hear something kind of warm and fuzzy and fluffy and feel good. Well, I hope you feel good when you hear about Jesus has made a way for your sins to be forgiven. He's made the only way. It's, he not, he's not a way. He's not another way. Jesus said, hey, I am the way. So maybe you're in that place where you're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this narrow-minded Christianity thing. I mean, I've been raised, I've been brought up, or I was taught in school, or they told me in college there were many different ways. But let me just ask you for a second in this section of Scripture. Let me just ask you this question and track with me as we go on. What if Jesus is the only way? Just what if? What if what Jesus said is absolutely 100% true? And what if he answers all of the objections that you might come up with. For instance, what about the objection like, oh, I've never really seen God, so therefore I don't believe in God because if I haven't seen it, you know, I've got to see to believe. Well, isn't that what Paul wrote in chapter 1? That you first believe and then you see. 
That's how faith works. You believe, then you see. It's not, you show me and I'll believe. Well, God did show you. Look at chapter 1 with me of Romans, verse 20. I mean, what if Jesus answers every objection you come up with? I have never seen God. Well, I think you have. Verse 20. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that's speaking of God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, the mountain majesty, the glorious sunrise and sunsets. I mean, when you look at what God has done in creation, you step back and say, wow, how beautiful, how awesome. No monkey has done this. No explosion has done this. No man has painted the sky like God has painted the sky. I mean, God, his, his invisible attributes are seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No, the objection really comes from verse 21, doesn't it? But because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. So, I mean, what if Jesus is right? He answers all your objections. What about the objection that comes along like, well, wait a minute. We have a Bible here in our hands, and we have God's clear teaching in Scripture, but there are literally millions, if not billions of people on this globe that have never seen a Bible, have never seen the law of God, have never heard of the gospel. And I'd say, wait a minute. They have heard. As a matter of fact, God has spoken to them directly in creation. God has given every man, woman, and child a conscience to be able to tell right from wrong. Remember that? Chapter 2 of Romans, verse 14. Speaking of the Gentiles, those apart from God, those outside of the law, those that aren't a part of the Jewish nation, look at verse 14, Romans chapter 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written where? In their hearts. In their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. You know the difference between right and wrong. You don't need the law of God to tell you that intrinsically in how God has made you in his image. You know when something's right and when something's wrong because God has dropped it into your hearts, the Bible says. He's put eternity into your hearts. He's given everyone a conscience. And so that objection seems to fade away in light of the truth. What about the objection? Well, wait a minute. I'm a very religious person, and I have been from my birth. I was born into a Christian family. I was born into a religious family. I was born into religious rituals. I have everything going for me. Even if I don't really believe in Jesus Christ, I have everything about my life that would lead me to make sure that I go to heaven because I'm very religious. Well, remember, we've looked at it. To this objection come in the Jews because they're listening to this. And the Jews would say, now wait a minute, we have the law? We keep the law. We actually know how many laws are in the laws, all 613 of them. And we weren't happy with 613. We've got another thousand of them that we've added to it because we're very religious. Not only do we keep the law, but I've been circumcised, the Jew would say. I've gone through all the rituals. I've done everything that I've been told to do. But God says, no, that's just not enough. It's not religion that will save you or religious activities. They aren't the way out. Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So John 14, 6, it either is a very narrow-minded statement or could it be a way out? Could it be a way out for you today? A way out of your empty, earthly existence? 
a way out of your life that's been in rebellion to the things of God that has caused you more pain than I think you even realize today? Could it be a way out into holy happiness when you now have a right relationship with God, that you come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and now things begin to make sense, things begin to clear up? I mean, when you're asking for directions eternally, it's a lot like asking for directions when you're in a new town. And you're not sure where to go, and the map that you have is out of date, and so you pull over to the gas station and say, I'm lost, where do I go? With that question, you're hoping that guy knows where you're supposed to go, because if he doesn't, you're going to end up more lost than you were to begin with. And if he gives you bad directions, he says, well, go up to the cactus and make a left and take the rock and make a ride. And then you're going to see the sunset. And right when the shadow hits, I want you to stop there, turn around, flip over three times, and then you're there. If you don't follow those directions or if those directions are wrong, then they only get worse the longer you follow them. So the first step, you're right next to the gas station. But an hour later, you're really toast. Think about it in light of eternity. In order to answer the question, how do I get to heaven, you want the right answer up front. Because the longer you follow the wrong answer, the more lost you become. And so we want to know, how is it? How is it, Lord? I mean, if there's none righteous, and I mean, if, if there's none who understands, and there's nobody that seeks after God, and all of us, verse 12, have gone out of the way, there's none that does good. And then verse 13, it's almost like the great physician says, okay, guys, open your mouth and say, ah, because I want you to see your spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, if the throats are empty tombs, and the tongues have practiced deceit, and there's poison in our lips, I mean, Lord, what is it? Well, with the direction, we want to know. And the first direction that Paul gives, chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, is that sin has condemned all of us. We're all condemned under sin. Sin has brought the judgment of condemnation upon every single person apart from Jesus Christ. And once we understand that, then God, he might freely then give us salvation to anyone who places their trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 21, Romans chapter 3. It says, but now... A whole change is taking place now from the wrath of God to the grace of God. And really to grasp the understanding of God's free love and his unmerited favor to us, you really need to understand what you deserve, the darkness and the blackness of judgment. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, if everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, everyone is touched by sin, then everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, if this statement, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, applies to every single human being, and it does, then so does the promise that for every single person that places their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved is just as true. So that means anyone here that recognizes their need of salvation because of the blackness of their own sin, if you will turn from your sin today and turn to Jesus Christ as prompted by the Holy Spirit convicting you in your heart, you too will be saved. What a glorious promise. As dark as verse 23 is, is bright as verse 22. Everything changes in this section. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation 
We'll get back to that word in a moment. You use propitiation lately? It's not a common word, is it? It's like, whoa, what's that word? We'll get back to it in a minute. By, but who's God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Great section. Great section to realize first that I've fallen short and then also to realize that God has made a way of escape for everyone who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. So this is really a transition, these words, but now. Everything changes, but now. It's a new direction. We move from the wrath of God to the grace of God, and we learn that the righteousness that God demands is the very righteousness that God has provided so that none of us can really conjure up any of the righteous. We can't make up the right. We can't work for the righteous. We can't stir together all these ingredients and say, here I am, God, everything I have is yours, and I've made it for you. But rather, the righteousness that he's demanding, he says, here, first take it from me. I'm going to give you that right. I'm going to cover you with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to cover those sins. I'm going to remove those sins by his blood. I want to focus on the word but just for a second because it often marks a transition in the Bible. Sometimes it's a good transition. Sometimes it's a not so good transition. I want to show you a few things that is in a good transition. That there might be a time right now in your life where you're at the crossroads and the decision you make will either be for good or for evil. That the decision you make right now will either lead you on a path that's contrary to the things of God or will lead you on a path of righteousness. Let me show you a few bad examples. You can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. The first one's in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, where this word but is used. It's, word, it's used with the wisest man to ever live. His name was Solomon. Solomon had everything going for him, blessed of God, given the wisdom of God, everything about Solomon. It was sweet. It was wonderful. But he decided to disobey. Listen. 1 Kings 11.1, 1. but King Solomon loved many foreign women, and that was his downfall. He was told specifically not to multiply for himself wives, but he made a decision, and the word but marks that decision. He started to love these foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, and the Moabites, and the Ammonites. You know, another example is King Uzziah. Another man blessed of God in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. Listen, but when he, Uzziah, was strong, his heart was lifted up. Let me pause just for a second and remind those of you that are really doing well in your Christian walk right now. I mean, you would categorize things as really right where you want them. You're growing in the things of God. You're blessed in the things of God. And you're beginning to see the strength and the glory that comes by obeying God and living for God. But let Uzziah be a caution that it's when you're strong that the enemy comes with the temptation of pride and thinking that it was all because of you and you're so strong and I'm so strong today because I was in church or because my devotions are doing well or because my prayer life is vibrant. None of those things really are because are, are what making you strong. They're a result of your strength. And it kind of goes back and forth where, you know, I, I love the Lord, so I seek the Lord. And because I seek the Lord, he seeks me. And because he's seeking me, he's, I'm found by him. And because I'm found by him, I love the Lord. So I'm in my devotions. I'm in worship. I'm in obedience. But never come to the place where you're like, well, I'm strong because look what I have done. You always need to be remembered, well, you know, what have I done exactly? I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even that faith, the Bible says, he gave us and dropped in our hearts. It was when Uzziah was strong that his heart was lifted up to his destruction 
for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple. And let me, one more thing about being strong in your Christian walk. It's in times of strength that times of compromise come. And so I'm so strong that I have a little bit more liberty. I'm a little more stronger in this area. So I'm going to go in that area, exercise my freedom, when all the while you're not as strong as you think because pride has crept in. And the enemy's always after us, tempting us and taunting us. Another example is Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. It says, when Pharaoh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed the word of the Lord. We see that in Ex- all throughout Exodus, how Pharaoh hardened his heart against the things of the Lord. However, this word but is also used to transition into something great and glorious. For instance, in the time of Noah, when everyone was going against God, everyone was rebelling against God, everybody was fighting against God, where the judgment of God was coming in the form of a worldwide flood, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's sweet. So when everything around us in this world is going downhill fast, I want to be found in this verse, but Ed, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that he failed to go with the flows of this world and the things of this world, that I might be transformed by the renewing of my mind, not falling into the trappings of this world, but allowing this world and using this world for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what happened with Noah. How about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? It says he came to his senses. Verse 20, he rose again and came to his father. That's a good sign. So finally, he's at the point where he's like, this is not right. I need to be back with my dad. I I know of my error. I'm turning from my sin. And then it says he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran on him and fell on his neck and kissed him. So you come back to the father today. You decide to forsake the sin that so easily trapped you. And you come back to the Father. The, the transition is the Father will rush and run to you. That's sweet. That's wonderful. God breaks in. You've been listening to the Tuesday edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in Romans chapter 3. And Pastor Ed, this section reveals how a person gets to heaven. If someone listening right now would like to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and get on the road to heaven, would you lead them in a prayer to do that? Remember, it's God that saves. You can pray with me. Praying is just talking to God. And you can talk to God by starting like this. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Because I believe Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came to live, die, and I believe he rose again to save me from my sins. And I believe I've sinned against a holy and a righteous God, and I accept your forgiveness. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past and to dedicate my life to following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. If you have any questions or you want to register with us, your decision, just go to our website, calvaryco.church, calvaryco.church, and there's a tab that says how to know God and all the information that you need to grow in grace. What is the very next step you take? That's information available on our website, calvaryco.church. Hit the how to know tab. God bless you. And friend, if you just prayed with Pastor Ed, would you share this exciting news with us? That would bless us beyond words. 
To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Not long ago, we put this together with you in mind. And there you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. Once again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make for a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can make a secure donation to the ministry online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Romans. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.